It's the week after Valentine's Day, which means that cuffing season is officially over. Or if you're like me and spent Valentine's Day alone, maybe you're ruminating over your ex and romanticizing what could have been. Maybe you're lounging around in disappointment at that one person who never asked you out, even though there obviously was something there. Maybe you're listening to some sad girl hours playlist that your eerily accurate Spotify algorithm curated for you. Cute Billie Eilish. Sad girl hours is a colloquial term that describes a period of time, usually during the night or late evening, when people, typically young women, feel sad, lonely, or emotionally vulnerable. The Sad Girl Hours playlist has been around for a while now, so I asked a couple of Northwestern students what their favorite Sad Girl Hours songs are. Class of 2013, but the Audio Tree live version by Mitski. That's Kerry Leo, School of Come Jr., who personally relates a lot to Mitski's lyrics. And then the second one is All I Need Is To Feel Like Someone Could Love Me by Take Care. But honestly, all of the music by Take Care, yeah. Like, the music itself is just very, like, raw in bed, like, losing all your brain cells. Bean and Junior, Lucy Zhang, is a fan of having SZA's music on her Sad Girl Hours playlist. Um, Blind by SZA. Her song reveals a lot of her, like, vulnerabilities. A sentiment that was second by School of Calm sophomore, Sattery Bennett. I'm gonna say Nobody Gets Me by SZA. Oof, good song. I'd say also, like, this song by Slow Dive, but slow-mo. It's like a very slow, like, very nice song to listen to. Although the Sad Girl Hours playlist saw a rise in popularity during the pandemic, overly personal songs about spilling one's negative emotions have been a rather recent development. In the acoustic era, some of the earliest popular songs tended to be kind of funny novelty songs or songs associated with the vaudeville stage. That's Jacob Smith, the director of Northwestern's MA in Sound and Industry program and RTVF professor. Here, he's referring to the kind of mainstream recorded music during the 1890s up until the mid-1920s. So both in terms of the kind of singing, very presentational, kind of full voice, and then the kinds of topics, oftentimes kind of funny novelty themes. I think one place where that starts to change is when we talked about the radio crooners. Professor Smith suggests that before the sad girl, there was the sad boy, or technically the gentle, vulnerable radio crooner who would softly sing into your ear. So crooners developed in the 30s in association with radios and microphones, a much more intimate style of singing that might feel more emotional, more direct, more like a singer is talking right to you. So I think that's one moment where popular song starts to become kind of more intimate. It's interesting to think about how that crooner moment might be updated in a digital moment where if the crooner, you know, gets very close to you, leaning into a microphone, um, my sense is that, you know, singers like Billie Eilish, very intimate, quiet, this almost ASMR kind of quiet, whispery, intimate delivery. Professor Smith also notes that a new kind of authenticity was brought to the music scene when singers started writing more of their own songs. You start to get a new kind of expectation 
that popular singers would also be writing their own songs. So it's, it's an even more kind of like confessional, direct relationship. Um, and I think that really becomes kind of the norm, especially in rock and popular music in the 60s and 70s. Singer-songwriters who are singing, writing their own material and singing often very confessional, intimate kinds of things and fans being very aware of their personal lives and how their lives might be embodied in songs that they're singing. This level of intimacy and access to artists' personal life also reflects our collective fascination with the backstage as audience members. The sociologist Irving Goffman would talk about front stage and backstage. You know, in our lives, we tend to have like a front stage presentation and then a backstage when we don't think people are watching. But we're, we tend to be fascinated by the backstage especially if it's an artist that we love. When they're on in the concert, that's one thing, but the authentic, real performer maybe is available in some other backstage way. And so that's something that I think people tend to be fascinated with and that media can sell to people, you know what I mean? We'll sell access to you, or I'm an artist that will give you that kind of access um, that's appealing to people. Professor Smith also talked about how the changes in societal standards, particularly towards women in the recording industry, have allowed for the creation of this loose genre of music. The history of the recording industry has tended to be very male-dominated. So, I mean, I think one thing, one way of understanding Billie Eilish is that there's long been an appreciation of kind of young women as consumers of recorded music. I mean, as we've seen, that goes back to the crooner days. But I think there's been more access to, say, young women as performers and creators and songwriters in the digital era. I mean, that's that the, you know, an ease of access broke down some barriers. More artists and more young women as artists being able to speak to an audience of young women listeners. So maybe that's one thing that's been new in the past 15, 20 years. And being able to speak to audiences through music can be a very powerful thing. I mean, the human voice is such a powerful vehicle for emotion, and music is such a powerful vehicle for emotion. So I think when you put those things together, when you have a certain kind of media that give you access to music and vocal styles that are really personal, really emotional, and then you're experiencing them in your earbuds very close, very personal, in your head, you know, um, there's a lot of potential there for a powerful emotional communication to happen. With lockdown, it's been a hard four or five years. And so I think people seek out outlets for those kinds of difficult emotions. And I think music has often been very good at that. At the end of the day, it's okay to be sad, to listen to sad music and to drown yourself in your feelings. Even Professor Smith feels sad sometimes. So here's a recommendation from him. Feel free to add it to your own playlists. There's a Roxy Music song called uh, Just Another High. The lead singer, Brian Ferry, fell in love with this um, model named Jerry Hall and wrote many love songs about this person. And then she dumped him for Mick Jagger. <laughs> and he wrote his big breakup song, is just another high. For WNUR News, I'm Jesse Chen. Maybe you're thinking of me.
Now do I 